Welcome to the Meteor Podcast, a weekly news show about what's going on in the media community. This episode is for Friday, March 6th, 2015. This week's episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They are the single best hosting option available for Meteor right now. Go to Modulus.io and check them out. They offer a marketplace. They offer your Mongo databases. It's very easy to integrate with other Mongo databases. They offer WebSocket support with sticky sessions. They do everything right for your Meteor app. I use them for everything that I'm doing. I would highly recommend you use them as well. Modulus.io. Our next sponsor is Compose. They offer production-grade database hosting for all your Meteor apps. They have a great option called Elastic Deploy, which allows you to easily turn on the Oplog-enabled Mongo database that your application needs for scaling to large amounts of users. I use it for Crater and uh, any other production apps that I'm doing. I highly recommend it. You should check them out, compose.io. Not only do they do Mongo, but they also have Postgres and Redis and Rethink and all kinds of options. So again, check them out, compose.io. Welcome, Meteor fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host. Rye Walker. My long-missing co-host. It's been a while, right? <laughs> it's been like two episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, and I was like so frustrated today. I was like, it was like 3.15. I'm like, Josh, find somebody else. <laughs> but I'm here. I'm here. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. You know, I used to always say like where you could find us and stuff. I stopped doing that. I just realized that the other day. Kind yeah. of funny. <laughs> Let's see, uh, sponsors, Modulus, big sponsor, all year long. <laughs> oh, speaking of Modulus, I just got an email from them about Mongo and Note. Anyway, you'll hear the ad if you're listening on the podcast. If not, be sure to check them out, Modulus.io. We have a coupon code. I need to say it. Someone was asking me the other day, hey, what's that coupon code? It's METPODCAST, all one word. Get you a $25 credit. It'll tell Modulus that you value their sponsorship of this show. (laughs) All right. uh, This week, we're going to talk about a release candidate for Meteor. We're going to talk about a MongoDB story, environment settings and security for Meteor, native OSX apps with Meteor, and uh, reactive user interfaces. I think the, uh, the big story... Today? This one come out today? It was today or late last night. 104RC0 is out and available for testing. There's a lot of good changes in here. So there's like the template level subscription stuff. They changed session set syntax. So now you can set multiple keys and values. There's something around like pausing, like you can pause a, a local collection now and like it'll stop doing updates. It looks like they've got compression support, excuse me, for DDP now. So WebSockets now supports compression and uh, DDP can take advantage of that if you want. Some Cordova updates. Also, I, I've got one in there. I changed uh, dash dash test so that it'll only run uh, once now and then exit properly. So I think when you're in CI mode, that was kind of the expectation. You just run dash dash test and it should like air out or 
pass properly, but what was happening is you actually had to pass dash dash once as well, which seemed a little odd because, you know, when you're in a CI environment, you just kind of want it like it's going to crash, just crash and exit rather than trying to rebuild over and over again. So then you'd get in this situation where it would just wait for the 10 minute timeout and then tell you your, your build failed and then you'd look at it. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. Anyway, there's uh there's some really great release notes up. Like I'm curious what they've changed in Cordova. It looks like there's some kind of uh, attack vector for Android in Cordova. And so now you have to specify, you have to whitelist all the allowed domains that your Meteor app or that your Cordova app can access with 104. So that, that feels like kind of a biggish change. I don't know. Yeah. I was just looking at the Oz flag in local collection. <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't read, read that one. Yeah. Did you have, have you looked at that thing? No, I haven't. That's in mini Mongo. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to figure out what that does. Cause that could be interesting. Yeah. I shouldn't read while while on podcast. <laughs> That's boring. Uh, I, yeah. I guess the other kind of interesting thing is that they've moved to a newer Mongo driver and yeah, uh, yeah, it supports like they've officially tested out everything with two six and there's, oh. there's a couple of little changes related to that, but the driver itself will also support 3.0. So uh, theoretically you, you just with one Oh four, you should just be able to like connect to three Oh and it should just work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Three is pretty important. That's where um, the wired tiger comes out. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, I would love to, uh, like, I got to see an email from Aeronota the other day, and I think it's, like, it would be a very mind-blowing email for other people to see this, or, like, a mind-blowing experience for other people to see this email. So I'm kind of hoping he'll he'll blog about his setup on Kadira soon. You know, they're, they're using uh, Go and Meteor together, and he's been using Wired Tiger and 3.0, and, you know, I'm curious, like, is he using that with Go or is he using that with, with Meteor or like where all he's using 3.0 at and were there any trouble? Was there any trouble for him with that and that kind of thing? But it looks exciting based on some of the numbers he posted. Well, I imagine he's Aeronota, so there will be a blog post. Yes, <laughs> there will be blogging. One of the Aeronotas will make the blog post. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. No, I think this is good. I, I mean, there are, there are a lot of little things. It doesn't look like there's anything really breaking in this release, so that's good. It's just a little dot release, so uh, we'll, we'll try to update it as soon as it's uh, ready. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, this is a precursor to one one. There's a new preview out for one one as well. I think, like, preview 0.2. If you're on a Windows machine, you should go try that. Tell them all the bugs they still have. <laughs> All right, this MongoDB story. Who wrote this? What is this? Oh, yeah, it's, it's me for once. It's funny because we had another meeting with this this company. Let me tell, I'll tell you the quick story was that we were trying to get a deal with a um, Fortune 1000 company, and and I kind of just blew off their questions about Mongo, thinking we're going to just use Compose, so it doesn't really matter. The licensing stuff's all moot. But in the end, they came back and said, oh, we, we're just not comfortable with using Mongo at all. You know, I... I dug a little bit deeper kind of post-mortem i'm actually swinging a little bit away from this blog post a little bit after a couple of the comments on creator i don't know if you've been following even the recent discussion on this josh like, i've read a little bit of it a couple of late comments from like google 
people who know Google and why Google would not allow a GPL software in their world because, you know, if you have thousands of developers all having this, you know, the risk of accidentally packaging in or linking to or compiling in some AGPL code, you know, that's a lot of at-bats to kind of um, make a big mistake. So I can kind of see why maybe really big companies would just want to avoid that, you know, completely, you know, maybe some brand new developer doesn't know what the heck he's doing and just makes a mistake, but then that's in their code. And I think that's a big problem. So I don't know really how to take that. Just basically, I guess it's why it's such an issue, why it's in such a gray area, you know, because it really depends on, it's just a risk thing. So yeah, the, the main idea here was that uh, there's this FUD around Mongo because it uses the um, AGPL license. You know, but even though MongoDB will say, hey, if you use this the way you're saying you're going to use it, we promise to never have an issue with you, you know, so. Um, but the genesis of this post was, I was just thinking about it, you know, after talking to some people about Mongo and Meteor and all that, and I realized, like, we're not really, the Meteor community has been kind of neutral or really quiet about Mongo, yet we're, everyone's using it without a problem or else we would have left Meteor long ago. Right. So, I kind of right. feel like it's our responsibility as a community to, to stand up and fight it, fight for a little bit, even though it's not necessarily the long term. In the short term, like we don't know when there's going to be other, other SQL support for Meteor. I think it's not as short term as we would have hoped. Like, right. in, you know, I was out last week and talking to Matt DeBregalis and, you know, he didn't give any specific dates or anything. But the way he was kind of talking about things, it sounds like they haven't really done much thinking or or even really started on any other kind of SQL support at this point. So that, yeah. that, that made me sad. You know, I felt like we'd see something in the first half of 2015, and I have a feeling like it's probably going to be in the second half of 2015. Yeah, and I, I think about like, okay, let's say Meteor had Postgres support too. Like that's going to that's gonna make Meteor more complex. You know, it's going to break the simplicity of what they've got. Yeah. I understand why we need it, but it's just, it's kind of frustrating that, so I don't know, I kind of, on one hand, I'm like, uh, can't we just defend Mongo and, and, you know, it's working for us all and it's getting better and Mongo 3.0 is coming out, so. The flip side of that argument is like, can we just rely on the community to fix this problem? And I feel like, yes, maybe we could, right? Because you see Ben, I think it's Ben Green, Numtel, working on the MySQL package, you know, I think people are just hesitant to even jump in and use that because it's not like an official blessed solution, right? Yeah. And people well, don't want to trust their data to something that's not official. <laughs> that plus then whoever writes it has to maintain it, you know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the Chris Mather effect. <laughs> you know, you write an important piece of the infrastructure and you're on the hook to maintain it forever. I don't know how that works. Is uh, that the he who smelt it dealt it rule? Uh, <laughs> he who so, wrote it maintains it forever? Yeah, I mean, I really got to give him a big pat on the back for all the stuff he's done on my router. But, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, again, the, the main point is I'm going to probably make it a point to just kind of fire some positive positivity around Mongo now and again in my posts and in my interactions with the community because, like I said, we're stuck with it right now. We're stuck with it, and it's not – you haven't heard anybody, like, rant, say, I quit Meteor because Mongo sucks. I mean, I haven't even seen a single post like that. Yeah, again, um, no, but I get – you know what it is? I get a bunch of emails in my inbox, and this is what I was conveying to Matt. It's like – I think Meteor has a bad rap, right? Like everyone likes to make fun of it. Like, oh, it crashes or drops data. Mongo, you mean? Are you talking yeah. about Meteor Mongo? 
Mongo, sorry. Mongo gets a bad rap in the community. And, uh, you know, I get, I get emails about Meteor and a lot of them will point to Mongo, like, but it doesn't scale or it has this problem. So I'm not even going to look at Meteor. I just think we're excluding part of the community. So I don't, I don't think anyone's coming in and leaving because of Mongo. I think they're just never coming because of Mongo. That's my yeah, idea. but doesn't that say something that, that supposedly Mongo is this horrible thing, right? Yeah. No, I, ha- I don't know a single developer that's come into the Meteor community and left it because of Mongo, you know? So therefore, Mongo is not, can't be as bad as it's re- as reputed to be, and it might just be really good, and they just haven't done a very good job defending themselves online. That's my opinion. I mean, I- I've read, you know, I know if, if you search MongoDB, you get, like, a lot of negativity. Yeah. But that's, a lot of stuff's kind of older now and, and maybe unfounded, and yeah, I mean... Yeah. I mean, we've got 3.0 out, right? And yep. like that's bleeding edge, but 2.6 has been out for a while. And I think they probably solved a lot of these issues in 2.6. Yeah. And it's been out for quite a long time. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe undeserved at this point. But as with any technology, like it's only going to take you so far. Like I'm not going to go start with uh, big tables or whatever the hell Google uses because – like I don't have the time to invest in putting together a startup around some huge thing that I might not even need. Cause let's, let's all be honest. Like your problem with building your apps, not going to be scaling. It's going to be getting people to use your damn app. And again, I don't have any, I haven't heard a single startup lately. I mean, that have said <clears throat> we were using Mongo and it's just, it's not working for us. I mean, now they're probably, they're probably out there. I'm not denying that that scale, like, but a lot of times, you know, what I'm finding is a lot of these switches from like Meteor or Mongo are coming from like a new CTO who just doesn't, you know, doesn't know that stuff. And they want to move into a, an area that they're comfortable. And, and so they throw out Meteor in favor of Angular, you know, yeah. they don't know. They don't know Meteor. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's the same thing here. And that's where so that I, I agree with you, though. It's blocking a lot of people from coming into Meteor, but if we actually could start putting out some positive vibes around Mongo, that could help them feel okay coming in. So yeah, I know it's an uphill struggle, but again, it's our database for the time being. So let's uh, let's cheer on. on it <laughs> a little big bit. Hugs. You know, big hugs. Yep. You know, especially maybe maybe with three, we have a big opportunity for that. You know, since the it's going to be a lot faster and stuff like that. It's all fun and games till it crashes and burns and loses someone's whole database and. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I, I've deleted data from uh, Postgres too. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> it can happen to anybody. <laughs> so anyway, all right, let's go. To the all next right. Environment settings and security. So I wrote this one. This one kind of hit me out of the blue. So we were talking in the uh, the Meteor Club chat room, the the patron one, and someone was saying like, "Oh hey, is there an easy way? Like I'm doing this if else around a key in uh, settings. Mm. Like, is there a better way to do this?" And I'm like wait a minute, like you're checking whether you're in production to call different keys from your settings? Well, that seems really not awesome. So yeah. kind of dug a little deeper and realized like, if you read the article, the point I'm trying to convey is that the settings should change from environment to environment and you just call the same key and you're just making sure that key is correct for each environment that you're in. So for instance, if we're looking at uh, AWS uh, S3 or we're looking at uh, Stripe, you know, it, obviously like Stripe, you're in test mode on your development box or you're in test mode on staging so that you can insert like testing credit cards and make sure that all the callbacks are working and everything. But then when you go live, you've got these production keys and you actually want to charge people's cards. 
that's kind of the difference there. You know, you should just have like a publishable strike publishable key setting in your development environment. You set it with your settings file and then in your production environment, make sure that you set it with your, you know, environment variables. And I, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that like that's kind of a best practice for deployment. I also kind of talk about why you don't want to put those keys just directly in the code. And that's because, you know, you don't, you don't know who's going to have access to that code. You don't know when that code might accidentally leak out. You know, there's been a lot of security stuff going on lately. Like, I don't know if you followed any of the Superfish stuff, right? No, I don't think so. So if you had a Lenovo laptop, they had this adware that was automatically getting installed and it was sanctioned by Lenovo. And, uh, <laughs> We're talking about the Nginx benchmarks in the chat room. Uh, but, uh, so long story short, it turns out like it was a major security hole because they were basically you could do a man in the middle attack on any web page and uh, like gank anything that anyone was looking at. And so if you're looking at GitHub and you pull up a page with a private key on it, like boom, your security is compromised right there. Like anyone that knew about Superfish could like uh, dip in there and like get that data out of there if they really wanted to. And that's just one potential security leak, right? And with your code base, like I'm sure, what do you guys have hooked into UserCycle right now? Do you know? That has access to your code, like third-party services. Third-party services that have access to our code? Yeah, like CI or Hound. Like nope, nope. Syntax checking. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have anything that I code. Code Climate would be another one. Yeah, and I love Code Climate, but no, we're not using that. Cost yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, that's another, like I mentioned in there, a circle of trust, right? And, like, maybe I think GitHub's secure. Maybe they're not. With 100 and some employees, I would think the attack vectors are pretty easy. You know, at the end of the article, I, I link to... You know, people putting S3 keys in public code. Like, that's a real problem. <laughs> yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, I have as well. <laughs> and, and Amazon, like, it was with the uh, the differential credit card on the differential uh, Amazon account. <laughs> we checked it that's, into oh, uh, the right. yeah. podcast. And then they, like, disabled our account and said, like, hey, we found your keys. You should fix that. Yeah, I think that happened to Colin, too. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, he got a big bill for it, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think this is like a really easy concept if you're coming from Rails and Heroku, because that's just the way, you know, you're, we were brought up that Heroku has these config variables, and you can over, have different variables when you're on, when you're developing locally, and it just it just was very obvious that that was a feature that exists, where I think if you're just like just coming into media, or maybe you're coming from some other technology, like PHP or something like that, and you're just not used to these configs you just miss you might misuse it so i think your post was really good to help <laughs> help people if they're if they are misusing the settings and certainly checking that stuff in so that, you know kind of there's a big question like do you do you commit that settings the one you use in development into the repo no you know because sometimes you actually have production like maybe a you're pushing to a um a dev version for mix panel or something like that right and i think it's fine like if you guys want to like share a dev settings file like that totally makes sense but your production one should not be in there right because yeah, yeah. that's your security those are your keys you know you need to make sure that they're only being set one spot and then you know someone even asked me a follow-up like what do you do if you got to share your production keys with someone and i said well chances are they've got access to a system that's going to have those keys right 
if you're using modulus, like give them access to the modulus map and they're going to be able to see those in the environment settings. So, yep, yep, there's, there's definitely that. So, yeah, that's good. Nice post. Thanks. Jumps to the next topic, which is some dude made a native OS X app with Meteor. <laughs> uh, that's pretty sweet. The, the GitHub username is Meteor Hybrid. Do you know who this person is? It's Andrew Reedy, looks like. Did I don't actually. Oh, nice. So I hadn't, I hadn't looked at this yet. That's mm. why I gave you the story. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I looked at it. I thought, I, that sounds fun. If only I had, I didn't know that I could use Meteor to make native apps now, too. You know, my world is getting really big all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Into it Meteor. Yeah, so it looks like they're using something called MacGap 2. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like it's new. I mean, it says it's considered beta and it's not very actively developed. Bad docs, he says. But it <laughs> uh, sounds like, I guess there was a Cordova OSX platform, which is also moving along very well. So, yeah, again, I don't know how practical this is. However, Slack, it says, you know, Slack is actually using MacGap 2 for its Mac app, and I use that app all day long. Yeah, I think <laughs> we all do. Mac version. Yeah, so, I mean, it's obviously, can, it can be used, and it's, so it's kind of an, an, a nice idea. I mean, I, I don't know, I didn't really get into how much instrumentation is required here, but it doesn't look like too much. It looks like there's just, you know, a config file, a Mac-config file, and then uh, you have to use Gulp to build it, and, you know, Xcode, it fires up Xcode, and then you run the application. So I'm sure there's some, a nice little hack here that someone could get there, an app. Like, I mean, I wouldn't mind having user cycle have a, a native app, you know? That's cool. You know, but the interesting thing here is you've got other things like, uh, what is it, Flint? Is that the name of it? No, that's the, uh, that was the other one. Just to, like, have an icon for your, for your uh, an app? No, it's actually like a separate browser. It's like an app-specific browser. Yeah, and you can you can just point it at any old URL and give it like a custom icon and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm even looking at it right now, and he doesn't have the name in here anywhere. But yeah, you can show like doc badge labels, and you can set Fluid App. That's the name of it. Oh yes, start with an app. I'm pretty sure there's like custom headers you can set on the page or something, and it'll like you can put unread. Kind of labels on the doc badge if you want like so i use it with trello i've got like a fluid specific trello that i keep open mm. and it's got the doc badge that shows like i've got five things that need done right now or five notifications anyway yeah and so the other thing i was just thinking about with this mac app is i don't know if i, I want to ever be back in the world where if i change the code I have to like get people to re-download it. So unless this thing had a way to automatically keep itself up to date with my latest code, uh, doesn't sound too exciting. <laughs> so basically, you just need Slava to come in and like add all the stuff to make it like Cordova mm. and get it to work mm. just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So yeah, you want to basically have an auto update when the server changes. But I'm sure that's not in the cards with this because it sounds like it fires up like. Fires up Xcode and probably does some normal like compiling and stuff like that. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. So again, kind of neat and fun, but we'll see if it's practical. Yeah. Doesn't have to be practical. Though. You just have fun little experiments. <laughs> Could be. I mean, you know, Slack is ruling the world now, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I spend I spend right, about four hours a week chatting in Slack. So. <laughs> 
they're definitely winning. Yeah, so next is uh, Reactive User Interfaces, a blog post by, who is this? This guy? Hmm. Tom? Tom Coleman. Tom Coleman. Yeah, geez, where's this guy been? He's been hiding under a rock. <laughs> I had to click on this. I saw it was percolate. I thought, okay, we'll, we'll check this out. And then it turns out like it's actually about React, the framework, and about how he feels like it's creating a much more easy to reason about way that your co your code's updating, right? Like he, he talks a little bit about how he's got some interesting animated kind of graphics here. And it shows like if this, this changes, then like it goes and updates those other two nodes. Whereas with React, they use a virtual DOM and, um, you know, kind of like it flows differently to update those, those templates. It's not as hard to understand how and why things are updating, I guess was his point. But probably the most interesting thing to me is that there's an official React-sanctioned Meteor repo, and uh, they've been working on this for a while. Looks like back in August they started on this. Who's that? Like, I saw one commit from Tom. Oh, the official React Meteor package. Yeah, still a work in progress. And so uh, Ben Jam... So it's on the React. Ben Newman. Board. Oh, okay. Interesting. Ben Newman's working on this. He works at Meteor. And John Gold. But it looks like it's been mostly Ben Newman. It's an yeah. interesting little tidbit coming out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when the React guy came. I remember he did a talk during one of the dev shops. It seemed to me like there was definitely a lot of interest to, for the two parties to work together and I, just, I just sensed that from that talk that they were trying to figure out a way to work work things out yeah um, we were talking about react in our differential slack and we were just saying like the thing that kind of sucks about it is like the html you have like html in the javascript you've seen that like the template like little snippets of html throughout the javascript code oh really yeah have you, yeah i don't know if you've like dug into how react works that way but, i haven't no i mean I don't know. It just feels like maybe that's the way things are going, you know, but it's, it sure feels nice to have these little HTML files for HTML stuff. Now, like, I agree with you. Like, I don't, we try very hard not to put styles in our HTML, right? Or right. like on click handlers directly in your HTML. Like, that just seems bad nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like that lightning talk at the dev shop, too, the guy like doing the, putting all the CSS inside of um, the JavaScript, too. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we were talking to him about that afterwards. Like, uh, I was out there last week, and we went out for beers, and we were asking him, like, how does that work? And he's like, I just, like, compute everything and then just, like, shove it onto the element as, like, an on-element style. And it was like, oh, that seems really weird. But he was talking about maybe instead, like, generating the CSS file and then reactively, like, applying those classes. Can you, like, keep changing the file, though? Like, I, I don't know. No, if you can keep changing a file as things are dynamically changing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't know either. But yeah, it just seems like, again, cool demos. Like, I don't mind having cool demos, but the practicality of it all. And now, the thing that's interesting about React, of course, though, is like React is like super fast, right? Like, it's, I think it's right now, it's like de facto to me, if I was going to say, like, what's the hottest front end, you know, supposed to be the fastest thing, it's React. Right. So, that makes it interesting. Just kind of sucks that if you have to 
put HTML snippets in the JavaScript is the way to get it done. But, you know, I mean, maybe it's the way to go. Uh, I, we don't like sluggish front ends. So, <laughs> you know, especially when you get on mobile and whatnot, or if we do like Cordova. Well, actually, you know, React has the React Native stuff too. So I don't know where that lies either. It's completely different than the normal React, I think. So things are changing. Meteor wants to play with that stuff. I don't know. You know, Gerard's going to do a talk about this next week too here in Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And uh, I think we're we're going to record that so it'll be on my, my YouTube channel for oh, yeah. time in memoriam so people can – can remote in and, and kind of watch that. So yeah, maybe a topic for next week's discussion, right? Indeed, for sure. Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> or the week after, we'll see. Yeah. Number one, if anyone has a question, like they should ask it now on the uh, the live streaming page. But I'm going to ask Rai, like, have you done anything interesting this week? Uh, man, interesting, sure. Um, have I done anything frustrating? Yes, it was. Wrestling with CSV for the past few days. <laughs> what a horrible format, you know. I can I rant on CSV real quick. <laughs> Do you need to? Like, yeah, does anyone know? Really know? <laughs> I sure hope no one in this world think, likes CSV and says, "Oh no, 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 CSV is better than JSON." <laughs> Shut up, that's not true. <laughs> no, I mean, I basically issues with APIs like interpreting a string that has an integer inside of the string as let's just convert that to a to an integer. You know, like there's just <laughs> mysterious conversions. Uh, in various APIs that, you know, if you don't specify, there's like no way to say, what did you intend that to be? Did you want that to be an integer? Did you want it to be a string? And if you wrap it with an, with with quotes, I think I'm saying to you, this is a string. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so I had that last few days. It really sucks. Um, nice. Yeah, but I, I am actually, uh, it's this whole user cycle thing is bringing me into this world of like learning about like Redshift, you know, like Postgres in the cloud, that kind of stuff. All the data science stuff, you know, I get to learn all these cool tools. So if anyone's, um, you know, in visualizations, you know, we're, we're getting deep in a D3. What else are we doing, man? It's, it's fun stuff. But uh, yeah. like tuning, like this week, Greg and I spent a lot of time tuning this job or this backend thing. Like user cycles is crunching data all day long. It's using third-party APIs. And like if you use it too much, you get these errors back saying, uh, you know, you're, you're hitting us too hard. Yeah, rate limiting. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and if you go too soft on it, you're like kind of like it's extra slow for the user for no reason. So how do you tune a system to get right at the edge of the rate limiting but not going over it? Uh, so we have we've refactored a bunch of times on that. Yeah, I remember. So back when I did Follower, you know, Twitter had the API rate limit and we did some interesting things there <laughs> because it turns out a lot of the data I needed was just public, and the rate limit was per user, per token, yeah. per application. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you signed up and I signed up and Greg signed up, like, I could use all three of those tokens to fetch public data if I wanted to. And so, like, I had this whole system where I could watch for an error and then drop that token on the ground and pick up a new token and then just continue on with fetching more data. You know, it was kind of like this this API harness where I could suck in a bunch of data from Twitter mm-hmm. on demand. But yeah, that's like, yeah. that's not easy. And it only worked because, you know, I was using public data. Yeah, and so we have, like in Keen, we have rate limits that are, we thought the rate limit was per project, but then we have like multiple views per project. So we have to like 
make sure if we have two views that it goes half the speed because it needs, you know, and then, but then we actually discovered this week that it's, oh no, the rate limits are actually at the org or like the account level. And, mm. but they didn't even tell us like on the project, which when I asked, you know, people upload their project credentials, I don't know if they're all in one org or, you know, so they, we've actually had them change their API to help facilitate us nice. being nicer. So uh, that's pretty fun stuff, but you know, really time, time consuming. How about you? What, yeah. Anything? Did you do anything new this week? Uh, yeah, just doing a lot of Meteor Club stuff. So I've been working a little bit on a Meteor Club Pro account. So I want to replace Patreon and move it to MeteorJS.club, which mm -hmm. required me to figure out SSL, right? Because I'm hosting right now. I'm hosting on DigitalOcean that site with uh, right now that one's just just regular old MUP. And then I've also got Crater there and. I was trying to get SSL on Crater because, you know, like, let's just, let's be secure, right? <laughs> Crater's fronted by Nginx, and uh, right now all it does is just load balancing to one box, right? So it's not really, like, Nginx wasn't doing much. So I spent time this week working on, like, SSL and then also having Nginx serve up your static assets, like your images and your CSS and JS. So like this afternoon, we were having a big debate, like how much faster is Nginx than Node? Does this make a difference? Is it worth spending a few minutes on? So it's kind of where my head's been at in the last couple of days. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you mentioned serving up static assets. I was talking to a big startup and they were telling me about their, um, you know, like their cloud front bill and all this, like all the different uh, asset hosting stuff like that. You'd be saying you know, it's just kind of shocking how much that costs at scale. <laughs> I didn't really realize that, but that's a big deal. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. I'll mention Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash media club, you can uh, support the podcast, support media club, all the blogging I'm doing, creator, that kind of stuff. We've got a bunch of new people, Nate, John, G, uh, Arthur, Sean, uh, Michael C., Robert, Quite a few. We're almost to that point where I got to start a new podcast. Oh, geez. Promises, huh? But I am going to switch it over. Uh, so if you want to get in the chat room, you'll be able to just go to meteorjs.club slash, mm -hmm. you know, pro, and you'll be able to get an account there. And, you know, we've got, uh, we got like 35 people in the chat room now. Like, it's, it's, hmm. so. Real quick question. Like, if someone's trying to learn media right now, are there any, do you have like any active classes or anything like that they can sign up for? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. Softball. No, no, I'm serious. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, I've actually got video that I need to put together and like I'm gonna start selling that specifically so people can do like self-paced. So your answer is no. But my, my next live class is in March. Uh, well I guess it's March. Oh <laughs> but it is it's March twentieth and twenty first, so it's a Friday and Saturday, eleven AM to three three PM Eastern. So you have space in that still? I do. Uh, I think I've got two seats, so it's like it's so close to filling up. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think I think this one's gonna fill up. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. But uh, just go to I guess meteorjs.club/learn, and there's a a little sign up link on there. Just put in your email, and you'll uh, get all the info. Yeah, I've referred some people to the to your to the Josh Owens School of Meteor. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Eight days of meteor, like that was really the impetus for getting SSL done, was so I could start selling eight days of meteor. Uh, yeah. oh, okay, because you want to do some e-commerce, yes. Yeah. So, almost done, almost. All right. Good luck with that. Yep. <laughs>
that's like SSL is the thing you do like once every six months and it's a new it's like you relearn it every time <laughs> yeah I figured like while I was doing it I might as well put it on crater and then it turns out like a bunch of the crater stuff isn't set up right to handle SSL so uh, gotta go fix telescope <laughs> yeah. fun alright man have a good weekend yep. talk next week yep <laughs>